Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap, presented by Facebook. Today is Monday, December 14th. Early voting in Georgia is up and running. Apple shuts down a TV show about Gawker, and we're focused on the vaccine rollout. Earlier today, a New York City nurse named Sandra Lindsay became the first American to receive a COVID-19 vaccine outside of clinical trials. More vaccinations followed as various sites throughout the country received their first shipments of the product developed by Pfizer and Germany's BioNTech, which received an emergency use authorization from the FDA last Friday night. Some things to know about the initial rollout, which included 189 different boxes containing just over 184,000 doses. First, the initial people to get vaccinated will be healthcare workers and certain folks in long-term care facilities with states in charge of the local distribution. Two, the Pfizer deal with the U.S. government is for a total of 100 million doses through 2021, which could cover 50 million people because you need a double dose. The company says that the Trump administration turned down multiple opportunities to buy additional vaccine, including as recently as last month, but that the two sides are now negotiating for another 100 million doses. Three, the FDA could give emergency use authorization approval for a second vaccine from Moderna as early as by the end of this week. The bottom line is this is a momentous day for America, for science and for the public health. But it's also one that's creating nearly as many questions as answers, with large groups of people telling pollsters that they're unsure if they'll take the vaccine for a variety of reasons, including fears of improper political influence. So we want to speak with former FDA Commissioner Peggy Hamburg about the science, the politics, and the process. That conversation in 15 seconds. We're joined now by former FDA Commissioner Peggy Hamburg. Peggy, can we start here? Transparency is this big question. And going into the EUA process several months ago, speaking to folks in the medical profession, they said, When the EUA application comes up, what outside medical experts are going to look for is to be able to see the data so you don't just have to take FDA's word for it. You're now on the outside looking in. Do you have a good sense of what Pfizer and BioNTech reported out of their clinical trials? Well, let me first say that this really is a historic moment, you know, developing a vaccine this quickly that appears to be so safe and effective is extraordinary and we should applaud it. It is important that people have trust and confidence in the process, that the science drove it, that there were not corners cut or other kinds of political pressures involved in coming to a decision. And I think the FDA got it right. They held an open meeting of their vaccine advisory board with external scientists and vaccine experts looking at the data, asking hard questions and really a chance for the FDA scientists, the industry scientists, these outside experts and members of the public to be part of an open, transparent process. The EUA designation, which hasn't really been used for vaccines prior to this, how should Americans think about the difference between an EUA approval from the FDA and a more traditional, formal approval of a vaccine? The emergency use authorization is a legal regulatory tool that was given to the FDA actually following 9-11 and the anthrax letters when there was a heightened sense of risks of bio threats and other serious, potentially catastrophic threats, and the need to try to make potentially very important medical countermeasures available to the public more quickly. It does have different standards. 
it can only be used in the context of an emergency. But the requirement is that the preponderance of the evidence, the known benefits have to outweigh the known risks to make sure that we really understood a lot about this vaccine and how it should be used. The FDA made very clear its standards for authorization or approval, but also indicated that they were going to hold it to pretty much the same standards that a formal vaccine authorization and approval would require. I expect the vaccine companies will come in with applications for full approvals, but they are continuing to collect more information about the real world use, so to speak, of this vaccine. When you say the difference between full approval and EUA in terms of who gets it, the talk at least is that, quote, general population is going to be able to start receiving this maybe the end of Q1, beginning of Q2 of next year. Can that happen on the EUA or does it have to get traditional approval before, you know, a healthy 30-year-old can get it? No, it can go forward under the EUA, the broadening out of access to this vaccine. But because supplies are limited at present, it's going first to those at highest risk, and then it will, in a systematic way, be broadened out uh, to the public at large. HHS Secretary Azar you know, was talking several weeks ago about the distribution process, said today he was talking about the tens of millions of doses that should be available by year end, but included in that would be doses from Moderna, which has not yet gotten an EUA. From a public health standpoint, should there be any concern that HHS is promising distribution of a vaccine that has not yet gotten FDA approval? I think there's every reason to believe that the Moderna vaccine will get emergency use authorization. The early data that's come out is very, very promising. It's a vaccine that's based on the same platform, the same scientific approach as the Pfizer vaccine and seems to have many of the same characteristics. So it would be a surprise if there was something about the Moderna vaccine that would slow its emergency use authorization. But we will know more. On Thursday, December 17th, there'll be another vaccine advisory committee meeting where there will be the chance for public engagement and deep dives into the data and the analyses, and the FDA will then take action. Given that, as you said, we right now have limited supply and will for quite some time, would it make sense, and, and have you heard anything about the idea of, for those who are, quote, in line right now, having them first get an antibody test to see if they maybe already had COVID if they were somebody who didn't develop symptoms previously? You know, we still don't fully understand about what are the sort of measures of protection against COVID infection. We know that very few people get reinfected with COVID after having had a bout of the disease, but it has happened. We know that it's safe to get vaccinated after you've had COVID. I understand the idea of trying to spread the vaccine to the largest number of people as possible. But I think that actually could slow the vaccination process for everyone. Probably the best course is to proceed targeting populations at risk because of the nature of their work or their medical conditions and continue to do everything that we can to really uh, scale up and amp up the vaccine production and distribution. And all the while, we still have to work on explaining to people about this vaccine and why they should take it. Because we have to recognize that while many are clamoring for the vaccine and pinning a lot of hopes on the vaccine to help us move 
out of this devastating COVID-19 crisis. There are those who are not sure that they want to take this vaccine. Can they trust it? Is it safe? And so we still need to be working on on actually reaching out to people where they are, talking to them, listening to their concerns, and trying to help engage them in part of the process of pandemic control through widespread uptake of this important vaccine. Is this kind of the pivotal inflection point for public faith, kind of in public institutions of which the FDA is? There's been so much talk over the last several years about a loss of faith in various public institutions. This seems to be the biggest one, right? This is extremely important. Kind of, do you believe the future faith of public institutions in part is relying on the FDA having gotten this right? This is a critical time for many reasons. It's critical in terms of the trajectory of the COVID-19 pandemic, but I think it does reflect a critical moment in terms of people's appreciation of the power of science. What has happened here is extraordinary in terms of harnessing advances in science and technology, investments that have been made now over many, many years to advance biomedical product innovation and the tools for vaccine development. You know, really now harnessing that to make a vaccine in record time, get it out to people. And hopefully we can do that in a way that won't have too many hiccups, too many bumps along the road that will undermine confidence in the process and the power of science. But I also want to underscore while I have, you know, a moment that the vaccine is not a magic bullet. It is not overnight going to transform our lives or our futures. What really matters today is that we make sure that everything is in place for vaccine distribution and uptake, but that we also recognize that we are in the worst period we've experienced with COVID-19 to date, and that the tools we have are the ones we have had from the beginning, which are those non-pharmaceutical public health measures, wearing a mask, social distancing, avoiding large crowds, especially gatherings indoors, hand washing, et cetera, to reduce infection, spread of disease, to reduce the burden on our hospitals that are dramatically overcrowded at the present time, to bring down the number of deaths, and to make it possible for the vaccine to really make the difference that it can. If somebody knocked on your door right now and they had a syringe and say, hey, got the Pfizer vaccine, do you want it? Outside of being a little freaked out that that happened, would you take it? I would definitely take the vaccine. I have enormous confidence in the process that has unfolded, in the strength of the science and the evidence to support the value of this vaccine, in the people at FDA who I know personally that have been working night and day to ensure that the critical questions get asked and answered about the efficacy, safety, and quality of this vaccine. It is a huge advance. It is a moment to celebrate that the vaccine is starting to go out more broadly into people. And I think that with this vaccine and other vaccines that are in development, we will be able to turn the tide on this devastating disease. Former FDA Commissioner Peggy Hamburg, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Welcome back. What we're watching today is a massive cybersecurity hack that's impacted both the U.S. Treasury and Commerce Departments. Government officials say they believe this was the work of Russian intelligence 
and that it was done by inserting malicious code into a software update in a product from U.S. network management company SolarWinds. And that last part may be why this really matters. SolarWinds says it has more than 300,000 global customers, including other major U.S. government agencies and 80% of the U.S. Fortune 500. So we asked the Aspen Institute's Zach Dorfman, who authors the weekly Axios Codebook newsletter, to explain what sorts of information might have been compromised. The nature of the compromise seems to point to at least some emails being potentially hacked into and exfiltrated by the Russian intelligence services, but it's not clear the breadth of what they were able to take. According to reports, they have been in some of these systems for months. There's some of the reporting points to this being the SVR, which is a highly sophisticated uh, Russian intelligence agency. In fact, it was the SVR that also did some compromising related to the 2016 election. But unlike the GRU, which is uh, another Russian intelligence agency, they didn't actually release those emails or uh, provide them to WikiLeaks. They're interested in traditional nation-state espionage, and they're a highly, highly sophisticated actor, one of the world's most sophisticated when it comes to cyber espionage. If you're a foreign state and you have the opportunity to hack into, into major government agencies like Treasury and Commerce, which, by the way, do a lot, but they're also integral parts of the U.S. national security bureaucracy. Both agencies have dedicated components that deal with terror financing, identifying organizations that are exporting banned technology for national security reasons, all kinds of things. So in theory, depending on how deep this goes, this might be one of the more significant breaches in the last half decade. Today, we're also keeping tabs on a pair of big tech IPOs that had been expected to come this week, but now appear to be delayed into 2021. One is from tween gaming juggernaut Roblox, which apparently got freaked out by the huge stock pops last week for Airbnb and DoorDash because many of its employees planned to sell into the IPO and the company didn't want them to feel shortchanged. So now it's restructuring the deal. The other IPO was from fintech company Affirm with sources telling me it was slow to receive feedback and approvals from an overworked SEC. So it too is likely to push into next year. And finally, Google today had a huge outage this morning knocking things like Gmail and YouTube offline. And that caused all sorts of problems for all sorts of people. Among them were school kids trying to get into their virtual classes and apparently some journalists. Here's a line from the Wall Street Journal story, quote, in at least one newsroom that uses Google services, a reporter had to use an older form of technology, the telephone, to dictate the first paragraphs of a story on the outage. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. It's my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven. Have a great national Booyah Base Day, and we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap.